0: November is the biggest travel month of the year, and yours truly had some travel plans, just as I'm sure you did. But unlike yours, my travel plans included traveling through space and time. The place is London, England. The time? Sometime during the early period of Queen Victoria's reign. And as I'm walking down the streets of old London, I need to watch myself. Things get a little seedy down by the docks, though the music you'll hear there is pretty good. Down Petticoat Lane, I swing a loop by Mad Sal's Dockside Ale House.
1: Is anybody
2: looking for
1: a Home.
0: And find my way to the calm and safety of Tavistock House, where, luckily, I have Mrs. Fezziwig as a guide to some of the more genteel points of interest. Well,
3: You are sitting in one of the poshest rooms in the whole London. I mean, the Queen is here. There is also the Adventurers Club, which is a gentleman's club, but they also allow ladies to come and lecture.
0: But I'll have to get to all of that later, because I'm here on official business. Yes, once again, I've traveled back in time to Victorian London, but to put it more accurately, I've traveled 20 minutes from the house for the Great Dickens Christmas Fair in San Francisco. It's an immersive, theatrical, and utterly enchanting experience, with music, dancing, costumes, and the smell of cinnamon-roasted almonds filling the air. There's so much to see, hear, taste, and encounter, including several live shows, one of which is a first for the Great Dickens Christmas Fair, and I don't want to miss it. In fact, I can't miss it. So why don't you come with me? We'll go together right now. Hello, everybody, and welcome. My name is Brian Earle. I'm the host of a podcast called Christmas Past. With me is Tim Babb, host of a podcast called Can't Wait for Christmas. And you are the lovely and beautiful on the inside and out audience for the very first time that we've recorded a podcast here at the Dickens Fair. Give yourself a round of applause for coming out. Woo! Now, Tim, this is for a podcast, so people can't see what you and I can see right now. So could we perhaps describe? Uh, Just a sea of festive garb
4: taking us back to uh, Victorian England. Uh, Corsets,
0: bonnets... Uh, Top hats. Ascots. And we haven't (laughs) seen one yet, but I would be surprised if we didn't see at least one waxed mustache. Oh, right. Yes. But for the next hour or so, we have some trivia games. We have some music. We're going to meet Kevin Patterson, the director of the fair, and have a lot of fun along the way. Right, Tim? Yes, indeed. But first of all, for people who maybe don't know who we are. Why don't we say, uh, so you're the host of a podcast called Christmas, uh, Can't Wait for Christmas. That's correct. And you've been putting out an episode once a month since 2015. That's right. Comes out the
4: 25th of every month all year long, or Rudolph Day, which is a thing you didn't know was a thing.
0: And so throughout the years, you must have learned some really interesting facts about Christmas, things that most people wouldn't know. What are some of the most surprising?
4: Uh, the fact that the song Jingle Bells, uh, people don't know. But there's a debate about where it was written. Like, some people think it was written in one part of America, some people think it was written in another, and there actually is a furious debate about that. Something you didn't think anyone cared about. How about you? You've been doing your podcast
0: for uh, pretty much as long as as me, right? Since 2016. You're a little older than I am. Uh, True in many ways. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, I'm actually doing an episode this season on Silent Night. Oh, yes. I don't know if you knew this or not, but the author, Joseph Moore, who wrote the words, Mm -hmm. after he died, they wanted to build a memorial to the song. Right. But during his lifetime, he never had a portrait drawn, no painting was ever done, and so when the artist wanted to do a statue, they had no idea what to make it look like. So they dug up his body what? and removed the skull to use as an artist's model for this sculpture, and then when they were done, instead of digging it up again, they embedded it into the Silent Night Chapel, which you can visit today as over 100,000 people do every year in Oberndorf, Austria.
4: Wow! <laughs> I thought it was weird that it was illegal to sing it before Christmas Eve. You found a way weirder fact.
0: (laughs) And that Christmas is weird. Yes. And it used to be even weirder, especially when we go into some of the history from back here in the Victorian era. So one of the things that we're going to do is play some rounds of Christmas trivia. Most of them, most of the questions having to do with Christmas from a bygone era. Mm -hmm. But before that, there's something that I spy way in the back. I spy some festive people who might be able to favor us with a song. That is the appropriate way to say we're about to hear some music to to favor us with a song. So I'm going to walk on over here and get a sense of who these lovely and very well-dressed people are. Hello. And could you tell me what we're about to hear? Well, we were going to sing um, Joy to the World for you. That sounds wonderful. Alright, on your mark.
3: Joy to the world
1: and nature sing, and and heaven and nature sing, and and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. What fields and floods, what hills and plains, repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy.
0: very much, Carolers. That was lovely. So you appear to be a colonist. Uh, yes, yes. It. Yep. Your eyes don't deceive.
5: Um, I was wondering, would you like to hear a song about debauchery?
0: Well, I think we'll have to ask our lovely audience here. Um, On my, Oh, m-
5: yes!
2: <laughs> <laughs> one from the colony.
0: All right. Who are we to disappoint?
5: All right. Dotshing through the, the
1: snow In a one-horse open sleigh, sleigh O'er the fields <laughs> we go <laughs> Laughing all the way Bobtail tail ring, making spirits bright, what fun it is to ride and sing a sleighing song tonight. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. A day or two ago, I thought I'd take a ride, and soon Miss Fanny Bright was seated by my side. The horse was lean and lank, misfortune seemed his lot. We got into a drifted bank and we, we got sot. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all Now the ground is white,
3: go it while you're young. Take the girls tonight and sing the sleighing song.
1: Just get a bobtail nag, 240 for his speed. And hitch him to an open sleigh and crack, you'll take the lead. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all Oh, what fun
0: it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Thank you very much, carolers. That was lovely. I'd like to thank you guys for sharing some of your music with us. Well, it's our pleasure. That's what we do is we sing when we can. And what is the name of your caroling organization? We are the Coventry Carolers. And thank you very much indeed. And a happy Christmas to all of you. They really sang the Dickens out of that. Uh, it was gonna hap- It was just a matter of when. <laughs> All right, so we were talking about some, some strange Christmas facts from way back when, and I figured everyone's here looking so festive, ready to show their Christmas spirit. Why don't we try to put that Christmas spirit to the test with a couple of rounds of Christmas trivia? Huh? I
4: What's like it. A- it sounds like it's a good time for it.
0: All right, now who's feeling brave as well as festive? Would anyone like to come up? Oh, my goodness, that hand went right up. Please come on right on up around the other side. Riding a thunderous wave of applause from the audience <laughs> as you make your, hello, please do have you. a seat thank right here. You. And could you tell us your name, please?
6: Well, I'm Mrs. M- I'm oh dear, I'm Mrs. Macaba. I'm a special friend of David Copperfield. Oh,
0: and uh, how far did you come to get here?
6: Oh, not very far. I just live over in Grosvenor Square.
0: Oh, Grosvenor Square. I see. You know, we might make mention of Grosvenor Square in just a few moments. Oh, very good. Okay, so I'm going to ask you some Christmas trivia questions. This is a very low-stakes game of Christmas trivia. All right. These are all multiple-choice questions. You can get help from the audience, you can get help from Tim, and at the end we'll have a nice prize for you, okay? Oh,
6: lovely. So
0: we are here at the Dickens Fair. Yes. Named, of course, for Charles Dickens. Oh, yes. So that's the first and the last name. Did you know that Charles Dickens had a middle name? Was it A, Hooper, B, Huffam, or C, Huron?
6: Oh, my dear. Oh, um, my friend knows Miss Anning, Mary Anning. It's, it's
0: Huffum. H- Huffam. It is that indeed Huffam. Yes, oh, B was the correct answer. Very well done.
6: Now, I in- shall have to tease him with that later.
0: Now, in Victorian times, a Christmas would often include something called Hunt the Slipper. What is Hunt the Slipper? Is it A, a party game where you literally have to hunt for a slipper, B, a variation on eggnog except that it's spiked with absinthe, or C, a popular children's book published in 1845?
6: It's actually a game.
0: You think it's the game where you hunt the slipper? It's not a game? That is absolutely correct.
6: (laughs) (laughs) it so long since I've played it. <laughs>
0: now, this one's a freebie. So this is more not a question of how uh, much you know about Christmas history, but how well you were paying attention just a few minutes ago. Silent Night has all kinds of myths and legends surrounding it, but one of the following is really, really true. Is it A, that the author's body was exhumed and his skull is now embedded in the wall of the Silent Night Chapel? Is it B, the song wouldn't have been written if it weren't for some church mice who chewed through the bellows of the uh, church organ? Or C, that the song was actually the work of composer Michael Haydn?
6: Are you sure? I would have thought it was B, because I know it was written for the guitar.
0: Sounds like the audience wants you to go with A.
6: I think I'll have to go with A. And the
4: correct answer was A. Oh,
6: very good!
0: Now, I should say that the other two really are myths that that exist about that song. Uh, Some people actually do believe it was the work of Haydn. All right. The Christmas Cracker, the English... Uh, party favor was invented in 1846 however the actual cracking element would be added later it didn't originally have the cracking element it is said to have been inspired by what is it a the crackling sound of a log on the fire b the loud knocking on the door by visiting carolers or c the tradition of celebratory gunfire on christmas which is common in some countries
4: oh my goodness it could be any of those couldn't it it certainly could Seeing that it's an English tradition, the gunfire thing seems more American.
6: It does. It does. What were the other two?
0: Was it uh, the, the crackling of a log on the fire? Or the loud knocking on the door by visiting carolers? I say the fire.
6: The crackling fire.
0: It was the gunfire. Oh, I steered you wrong! I'm sorry! Oh, that
6: wasn't fair at all! Oh, that wasn't fair at all.
0: In Norway, there is a tradition called popping the pudding. If the Christmas pudding is successfully lifted from the, uh, the pot, it is common to go out into the yard and fire a gun as a way to celebrate and to let the neighbors know, presumably, that you've been successful. Oh! And so now you know.
6: Now I know. Well, Norway. I didn't know anything about Norway. How would I know that?
0: <laughs> Sir Henry Cole is said to have designed the very first commercially printed Christmas card in 1843. That was unusual. Uh, there was something unusual about the image on the card. What was it? Was it A, that each family member had the same face, the face of Sir Henry Cole? Was it B, it shows a toddler drinking alcohol? Or C, it contains a hidden message discernible only with a mirror and a magnifying glass?
6: I would have thought it was... I was going with B even before you said that.
4: I just had to make up for it when I
0: gave the wrong answer last time
6: wrong with a toddler having alcoholic beverage? That's how you put them to sleep, dear.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that is exactly right. It does show a child drinking a glass of wine, which was fairly common back then, but it got some flack from the temperance movement.
6: well, Well, of course, yes.
0: Doing great so far. Thank you. For many Victorians, a goose club was an essential part of Christmas. What is a goose club? Is it A, a wooden club for hunting your own Christmas goose? Is it B, the original term for a group of geese, as one might see at a market? Or is it C, a communal banking system for saving up for a Christmas goose?
6: I think it's saving up for a
1: goose.
0: It absolutely is. A goose club is where it would happen at the local pub. Where you would uh, contribute a portion of your paycheck every week or month, and that, at Christmas time, you'd be able to get a goose.
6: Yes, of course. All right. How else would the, the Cratchits get a goose? <laughs>
0: now, we're going to hop across the pond over to America, oh. where a while ago, in 1659, Exotic. the Puritans of Massachusetts Bay Colony banned the celebration of Christmas, yes. as they were wont to do. You could actually receive a hefty fine for so much as baking a mince pie. What was their specific gripe with the mince pie? Was it A, that the smell of one baking could have a corrupting influence on the townsfolk? Was it B, that the pie itself was considered a form of idolatry? Or was it C, that by then the pie no longer contained mincemeat, so given its name, to cook one was to commit the sin of lying?
6: Well, who knows what mincemeat is,
0: anyway?
6: (laughs) I think... I think it was I think it was B. They're all about idolatry and how bad that is.
0: You're absolutely correct. Ah! So, <laughs> it was common way back when to cook the pie in the shape of a manger and then to put a crust figure on the top to represent Jesus. So it was actually referred to as idolatry in crust and you could get a, and part of the reason that we bake them to look like a normal pie today was from puritans we'll trying avoid to avoid problem. penalty. Yes. Alright.
3: I trust in
0: Jesus! (laughs) (laughs) Now, no Christmas is complete without gingerbread. Way back when, which of these was true about gingerbread? Was it A, it didn't really contain ginger, B, it was common to add red food coloring because its natural brown was considered unappetizing, or was it C, that it was illegal to bake it without a license? Oh, uh, we're getting some help from the audience here.
6: Why would you need a license to bake a gingerbread and not anything else? Or was it every anything baking? I'm sure that they would call it gingerbread and there would be ginger in it. So I'm sure it's not a. I think all right. See, we're it going really C. was
0: correct. There were gingerbread baking guilds, especially in Germany, where to bake it without um, being a licensed member of the guild was a crime. I see. All right. Well,
6: when you put it that way, I understand... Will's not break the gingerbread?
0: Nein! (laughs) (laughs) Now, the Christmas tree became mainstream after Prince Albert introduced that German custom to England. In 1848, the London News described the royal tree in detail, including the tree topper, which was what? Was it A, an angel holding a wreath in each hand, B, figurines of Victoria and Albert themselves, or C, an apple?
6: Um, the angel... possibly but also the apple.
0: Apple. I think apple. You think incorrectly, I'm afraid to say. It was the angel. Okay, Holming, H-O-L-M-I-N-G. Holming is a Christmas tradition that we thankfully no longer practice. Why is that? Is it A, that it describes thrashing people with holly until they bleed, B, drinking sour milk in a toast to good health, or C, clipping lighted candles to one's shoes?
6: The lighted candles. I'm afraid we're a bit we're a bit silly with fire around here.
0: We have been silly with fire, especially when it comes to the trees. But I'm afraid the correct answer is A. Holming is also known as holly thrashing, where it was common oh. to thrash one with holly until you draw blood.
6: Well, that wouldn't take too long with holly, it Certainly you know. would. They're quite sharp. And the th- leaves are quite they, sharp.
0: They certainly are. And it was common for uh, young men to do this to young ladies for reasons we'll <gasps> never understand. What? It's And also, it was common among families that the last person to wake up on Christmas morning would receive some homing.
6: Oh, now that makes some sense. It
0: It might
4: be a good tradition to bring back when you're trying to get those guests to leave. Exactly. Oh,
0: yes. Well, I would like to thank you for playing a wonderful game of Christmas trivia. We have a little prize for you you have a weekend pass to the fair. Oh, well, that would be lovely. (laughs) Along with some other Christmas goodies from Tim and me. Thank you very much indeed for playing. And a round of applause for a game.
2: Thank you.
0: Lovely. All right. So we have some musicians taking the stage, and Tim, if I didn't know better, I would think that we were perhaps uh, on the sea. Yes, this does look very seafaring. Yes. Now how, now, how do you know? What's making you think that? Uh,
4: well, we've got some uh, very uh, naval-looking ascots. Yep. Uh We've <laughs> got some. Um, is it not an ascot? Did I did I say that incorrectly? Is it, is it a cravat
0: or? An... Okay.
4: Kershaw, Kersh- Kersh- All right. right. Heavens,
0: forgive me. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And so could you please tell us who you are?
5: We are the Paddy West School of Seamanship, where we produce the, the best seamen in London.
0: <laughs> oh. oh, my. Do you, do you want to be scandalized or should I? Uh, I'm going to pretend they, I'm going to take that at face value.
5: <laughs>
0: and so when you're not producing semen, um, what, what else do you do?
5: We are also the sea dogs throughout the year. We perform at all sorts of things from maritime festivals to pirate events.
0: And we're going to get a taste of that right now, Aruna. Absolutely. All right, on your mark. When I was a schoolboy, I lived at home at ease.
5: But now I am a trolling man, I sail the wintry seas. I thought i liked like life, was all right till I found. tis a times like worse than slavery when we get off the ground. And it's all boys, Hall,
7: Hall, boys
5: the caps and lads and let's get off the trawl When the winds are blowing and the ships can rollin', rowing My Emma, my Emma, won't you be true to me? Now every night in winter, as regular as a clock Put on your old Southwester, likewise your old skin frock And then up to the caps and lads, as then we'll heave away Well that's the cry in the middle of the night as well as in the day And it's Hall, Boy, Hall, Hall, boys, Hall the captain lads and let's get up the trawl. When the winds are blowing and the ship's gently rolling, my Emma, my Emma, won't you be true to me? And when the fish are up on deck and piling to our knees, we'll slip and slide and wonder why we ever went to sea. But then on shore we'll sell our catch that's easier to bear. For a beer on night and a lady's arms when we get paid our share, and it's all boys, all. All boys, haul! Heave away, the captain lads, and let's get up the trawl. When the winds are blowing, the ship's deadly rolling. My Emma, my Emma, won't you be true to me? With winter passing over and springtime coming on, we'll go out in all weather. last no time for bitter or song, for the fish don't wait for lovers, as you will quickly find. Put on your own skin jacket lads and leave the gals behind And it's Hall boy, Hall, Hall Boys Hall Heave away in the captain lads and let's get up the call When the winds are blowing and the ship's gently rolling My Emma, my Emma, won't you be true to me? And when our trip is over, hard up the tiller goes, and straight away to Yarmouth with the big jib on her nose. And when we reach the pierhead, all the gals will loudly say, here comes my jolly trolling man who has been so long the way. And it's Hall, boys, Hall, Hall, boys and let's get up the traw. When the winds are blowing, the ship's gently rolling. My Emma, my Emma, won't you be true to me? And it's all boys hall, hall boys hall. Heave away, the captain lads and let's get up the trawl When the winds are blowing, the ship's gently rolling. My Emma, my Emma, won't you be true to me? And it's all boys hall, hall boys hall. Heave
4: They are very talented.
0: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes, the puns will not stop. <laughs> <laughs> Two very dapper-looking gentlemen right here. Yes, they yes. look like they are ready to fiddle us a tune, perhaps? Of course. Sir. Yeah, yeah. Of course. And so, let's see, I wonder if we can just describe the get-up that we're seeing here. We have, uh, does it be a morning coat or morning jacket? Is what it's yeah, just an, an outerwear coat. An outerwear coat with a uh, ascot? Cravat, sir. Cravat, okay, yep, pardon me. Uh, how about yourself?
7: Just have a vest and a... I have a ascot on, and I've got a wee hat on. Uh, don't
4: forget your jaunty My cap. Fiddle.
7: My jaunt cap. Mm, excuse me. Now, Tim, I've
0: never used the phrase "he cuts a dashing figure," but I'm glad that I get to do it now <laughs> because that's that's pretty much how I would describe what we're seeing here, and the audience agrees. Oh, Yes, yes. very fine looking boys. Yes. Okay, and so I couldn't help notice that you have a pair of fiddles on you. So, uh, yes. what are we going to hear?
7: We're going to hear two wee
0: fiddle tunes from Northern Ireland. All right, on your mark. <laughs> Gentlemen, that was wonderful. Hi, right, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. All right, and a happy Christmas to both of you. Happy
7: Christmas to you.
0: And will the fairgoers be able to see you in- inside?
7: Of course. At about 1.30, I think we're going to be playing outside of the tea shop across yes. from the Corinthian Rose.
0: All right, you heard it here, folks, at 1 o'clock. Thank you guys very much. Have a wonderful Christmas. Oh, Sharon, that was some
4: lovely music. <laughs> Even the wee babes were dancing, it was
0: so good. <laughs> Well, it's about that time, Tim. I think if we are on schedule, we're going to be interviewing Kevin, who is the executive director of the fair.
4: So why don't we bring him up? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to stage, Kevin. (laughs) An expert curtsy. So first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And thank you for having us here.
7: Oh, it is my pleasure. You are so welcome.
4: Now... I wanted to ask about the origins of the Dickens Fair because it owes, owes its, or its, it, its origins are tied into a very no, another very popular fair tradition that takes place.
7: Uh, Yes, well, there is a a thing called time travel that we all have in our hearts as something we wish we could do. And my parents back in 1963 with a group of their friends and the children in their theater group decided to create something called the Renaissance Pleasure Fair. It was the first such time travel event uh, living history, if you will, in the world, really. And... Uh, a few years later, they decided to do one with a Victorian theme here in San Francisco in a warehouse down somewhere near the Embarcadero. And now for the last 20 years, the Dickens Christmas Fair has been flourishing at the Cow Palace. And it's, uh, it's great to be able to celebrate our 37th year doing this and our 20th year at the uh, historic San Francisco Cow Palace. Yeah, so the, uh, the Dickens Christmas Fair is really something that is in our hearts, and we've been doing it for a long time, and I grew up here. My parents uh, handed the reins over to my wife, Leslie, and I uh, some 25 years ago, and we have been producing it uh, as a family show ever since.
4: Now, are there, some, are there stories from putting it on every year, like things that stand out, um, either challenges or, uh, or, or things, th- surprises, basically, even though you're doing... You're doing something similar every year. That I'm sure there are things that stand out from year to year. Is there any specials, uh, interesting stories that you... Interesting? That's a word I made up. Interesting stories that you might like to share. We only have a few minutes.
7: <laughs> yes, of course. Well, let me go back to when I was a little boy. And there was this, uh, this, this person who was portraying a man who was the, uh, the character out of uh, Oliver Twist. Named, um, uh, yes... Mr. Fagan. Yeah, yes. And and my parents wanted me to earn my keep, as it were. And so they told me that I needed to work for Mr. Fagan. And mister Fagan, of course, trained pickpockets. So I learned how to pick pockets when I was ten years old and run around the streets of the Dickens Christmas Fair here at the Cow Palace in nineteen seventy something. And pick pockets, except We had a bit, because when you actually picked a pocket, then you very clumsily handed off the lady's handbag to Mr. Fagan and dropped it. And then Mr. Fagan would look at us very sternly and shake his finger and pick up the the aforementioned uh, picked item and hand it back to the lady very graciously telling the other uh, boy by the scruff of the neck, which just happened to be me, uh, that he was misbehaving and he would teach him the proper ways of being a proper Victorian lad. So that was my little twist on have, having been part of the Oliver story. That is a good skilled uh, pitpocket. pocket. Where, where's my wallet?
4: Uh, I noticed on the website um, you, you encourage people to dress up in uh, uh, authentic uh, Victorian costumes. But one of the things you discourage is costumes that are not of the era. And I'm wondering, is that rule there because there was a specific
7: issue with people showing up in the wrong costumes? Well, we, we have had, on, on occasion, a, a stormtrooper not exactly <laughs> getting it, and so we, we hope to educate people that it's a different empire that we are portraying <laughs> here. And the Victorians really had lots of different things that they uh, did that were colorful and interesting. Various uh, military outfits and uh, fabulous ladies' ball gowns and and whatnot. So there there really is no limit to the creativity that they can express within the correct time period.
4: And uh, what are some of the most amazing costumes or uh, or dress-ups that you've seen people come here with?
7: Well, I have seen a gentleman dressed as an admiral from the British Navy with all of the epaulets and all of the, the buttons down the front of his waistcoat being exactly authentic from 1862 to 1869. I mean, there, there are people who go to so much trouble to make their costumes for the Dickens Christmas Fair that they go to London to shop for the little bits and bobs and then they do authentic recreations of that particular piece of clothing. And then there's also people who put on a bowler and a top hat or a a, a lady's bonnet and and, and wear their jeans and are just as happy being swept into the time period as somebody who's gone to the trouble of uh, spending, well, thousands of dollars making a costume so it it really is uh, not limiting Uh, people uh, express themselves in costume here or they come just uh, basically uh, as they wish to uh, comfortably dressed Um, it's uh, uh, one of our favorite things to say that uh, at the dickens christmas fair uh, costumes are admired but not required nice now, as you
4: mentioned, there are people who take, not take it seriously, but like they're fan, like their fandom, if you will. I, I don't know if you can describe Dickens-ness as a fandom, but like, so they come every year kind of expecting the same thing. But it's, but I'm sure you also want to change things up from year to year. How do you strike that balance and what do you, what do you do with the Dickens Fair from year to year to keep it fresh, but also not
7: lose what people are coming to see? Well, we do love tradition and we're all about the traditions of the holidays and about the literary traditions that come out of Charles Dickens and out of Lewis Carroll and all of the wonderful authors of the time period. However, there are new shows every year and every single day is different because this theater art form is fundamentally improvisational. With 800 performers being the characters, there are no two moments or no two encounters that are exactly alike. And if you come with your heart open, ready to play, it will be different every single day.
4: Very nice. Brian, I've hogged all the question asking. Is there something you would like to ask? I don't want to...
0: Well, if we're going to close things out, uh, what would be a a good way to make sure that you enjoy and be able to see everything that there is to see here at the Dickens Fair? When people come in, they get this uh, floor plan uh, would you suggest counterclockwise or is there a place that you would go uh, right to if you were with a, maybe perhaps a young family or another place you go directly to if you were a, a couple or something?
7: Well there is a map of our London in the, uh, the London Chimes, the illustrated London Chimes by the way, that's handed out to everybody that comes through the gates and I do encourage people when they first arrive to take a moment, get their bearings, perhaps have a dance in Fezziwigs, just to sort of immerse themselves that much deeper in it and then walk all the way to the far end of London and work their way back forward. That way they've had a chance to sort of see little things that they might want to come back and spend more time in, but when they're with little ones or uh, with a, 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 a particularly um, uh, curious or, or, or antsy um, uh, uh, partner or associate, they can sort of get their energy up and and have the ability to go all the way through the show without stopping and starting and stopping and starting because there's so much to attract one's attention that it's nice to just sort of get, get, like I said, get your bearings and get all the way through London and then find those things that were particularly attractive and come back and spend more time make sure to spend time at the eateries. Come with with, with with a hearty appetite. There are so many delicious, fresh foods at this particular uh, uh, festival, unlike any other. All of the, the chefs here are, are making uh, fresh and delicious foods. And then there are stages that have changing shows every single day. So when you sit down to a meal, take that illustrated London chimes and open it up to the stage schedules and see what it is that you're perhaps most attracted to. If you're here with a date, you might spend time at Mad Sal's Dockside Alehouse singing along with the uh, oh-so-naughty boys and girls up on stage with their slightly off-color language. Uh, the bodiness of Mad Sal's is not for those uh, faint of heart or under 18. Or go to Tinsley Green Children's area and be able to meet Father Christmas, tell him uh, the the wishes that a young one might have, or play really inventive, interesting games like Paint the Roses Red, where you get to throw a a soft uh, 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 paintbrush at these uh, uh, bushes that have white roses on them. And if you hit the rose... It will knock down and turn into a white one, so that the um, uh, the queen will not uh, be uh, angry. <laughs>
4: so everyone here is about to go and experience the fair. But for those listening, where would they find out more information about how they can get down here and experience this Dickens goodness?
7: Well, there is that, that wonderful magical place called the Internet, and if you find your way there, you simply um, uh, arrive at dickensfair.com as if falling down the rabbit hole, as it were, with Alice. Once you're at dickensfair.com, the whole world will open to you in preparation for arriving at the Great Dickens Christmas Fair, where we're already having fun. Well
4: stated. Thank you very much, Kevin. Thank, Thank you for putting you very this much on. Indeed. And keeping this tradition going for so many years and making it just such a wonderful place for us all to be.
7: You're very welcome. Enjoy. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you
0: very much. Ladies and gentlemen, the executive One more time for director. Kevin all right, Tim, well, let's recap so far. We've played some Christmas trivia. We have. We've heard some musicians. We have indeed. We've got a chance to get an inside look at the Dickens Fair through the eyes of the executive director. Why don't we play another round of Christmas trivia? I was trivia? saying, I'm itching to
4: play some more di- trivia.
0: We learned a lot last time. Yeah, I'm, th- mostly too. that's why
4: I want to learn uh-huh. more.
0: <laughs> well, we're missing something.
4: We need someone to come up here and play Christmas trivia. Who would like to come up here? Spoiler alert, you're going to win prizes.
0: <laughs> I see someone who is like ready to come up but needs a little encouragement. This lovely young lady here. Please come on up and swing around this side. Now, Tim, there's a reason this is taking longer than it would if we were in the 20th century. And perhaps you could help me paint the picture here.
4: Well, it is a... a lo- how, do, how do you describe the, the way the dress uh, shoots out like that?
3: So, it's um, a hoop skirt with petticoats over it. And then I'm, I'm wearing a corset, and the hoop skirt goes at the waistline of the corset. And I've got chemise, and I've got drawers under there. It's quite a production to get dressed. <laughs> and then over the corset, I've got this little fichu to cover the bosoms. <laughs> Don't tell mama I said that word. <laughs> and, then, and then I have, of course, you know, the lovely plaid um, dress that I'm wearing over it. So it, it takes upwards of half an hour to get dressed some mornings. It's, and, you know, it's, some of us have ladies' maids. I'm not so fortunate, so... <laughs> Well, we've met
4: your outfit. Let's meet. What's your name?
3: I'm Miss Fezziwig. I'm the eldest Fezziwig daughter at um, Fezziwig's Christmas party.
0: All right. Well, yes. Round of applause. So we're going to ask you some questions about Christmas history, which fairly recent history, given the time we're in now. Christmas used to be a lot more superstitious than it is now. Which of these is a real superstition from Christmas past? A. In parts of Germany and Poland, it was believed that a child born on Christmas Day was likelier to become a werewolf. B. To ensure good health, you should neither bathe nor change your clothing between Christmas and New Year's. Or C. It's bad luck if a cat meows on Christmas. That's quite difficult. I'm...
3: The cat is tempting. I'm, I'm certainly not going to say the bathing thing. I, I, I might say I'm, I'm very torn between the cat and the, the, the bad luck with the werewolves. But, um, okay, I'm, I I'm going to say the cat. I think, I think the audience says cat. I, I might concur with that.
0: The correct answer is they are all true. Goodness. No matter which one you chose, Goodness. you would have gotten right. A trick question where you are bound to win. But, yep, all of those are actual... Uh, superstitions from Christmas past.
3: My goodness.
0: Okay. Santa Claus, before he was famous, had another name, Saint Nicholas. After he, he was a real person from uh, the fourth century and what's now Turkey. And after he passed away, he became the sort of all-purpose patron saint. Was he the patron saint of pawnbrokers, saddle makers, or goat herders?
3: Hmm. It's very different. Difficult to say. Um... I think this might be a trick question because I do know a little bit about St. Nicholas the Bishop of Myra mm-hmm. um, I might I could say about quite a lot about him and I know he was the patron of children and sailors and seagoing and prostitutes mm-hmm. and that's true I, I might say moneylenders because this there's, there's some unsavory people in there
0: uh-huh.
3: uh, but it might be all three and but I'm going to say moneylenders
0: Well, uh, well, that wasn't one of the options. I think you meant pawnbrokers. In which case, you are one hundred percent correct. Very good. Yes. Okay. Here's something else about Saint Nicholas. Right, he was a real person who became a bishop. How did he become a bishop? Was it a he was appointed to that position by the emperor? Was it B, he walked around calling himself a bishop and eventually everyone just went along with it? Or was it C, that after the old bishop died, the priests in the city agreed that whatever priest was the first to walk into the church would be the new bishop as long as his name was Nicholas?
3: I, I'm going to say C.
0: It actually was C. This, yeah. is, this is really true.
3: Well, Nicholas means victory of the people in Greek, so that, that seems a very egalitarian
0: choice. Apparently, one of the uh, priests had a vision that the next... Uh, Bishop would be named Nicholas. So they all just sat at the church door and like the first guy named Nicholas who walks in is the new bishop.
3: I, I know so much more mundane things about him. Like he punched a man named Arius. He it,
0: sure did. Yes. At the uh, the Council but of Nicaea, Nicaea. Yes, the first Arius. council
3: of Nicaea. There was three councils mm-hmm. of Nicaea.
0: And Arius was he held a heretical belief. He didn't he wasn't a yes. Trinitarian. Good. He was
3: not he were, and Specifically, he had heretical beliefs about the Son of God, that he was not both fully human and fully divine. Right. And Great for
0: heaven. that, Saint Nicholas punched him in the face, and yeah. Constantine put him in jail. That's not very nice here. <laughs> yeah. This oh, is a guy who knows oh, if goodness. you've been naughty or nice,
4: by the oh, way. Oh,
3: goodness.
0: <laughs> now,
3: you have worse puns than my dear papa.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Here is something that you're likelier to get right off the bat. In A Christmas Carol, the Cratchits have two daughters. What are the names of those daughters? Is it A, Clarice and Annabelle, B, Margaret and Rose, or C, Belinda and Martha?
3: Being well acquainted with the novel, I know it's C, Belinda and Martha. It is
0: Belinda and Martha, very well done indeed. A Christmas Carol inspired many adaptations for the print, screen, radio, and stage, including which of these? A, a TV special where comedian Rich Little plays all the characters, B, a cartoon called The Stingiest Man in Town where Tom Bosley, who played Mr. Cunningham on Happy Days, voiced a character named B.A.H. Humbug. Or C, a TV special called Mrs. Scrooge where Cicely Tyson plays the lead character known as Ebenita Scrooge. All of these seem plausible. They, they really do.
3: Yeah, there have been so many that, strange does, adaptations. Does, does, that,
0: does that suggest anything to that you? That
3: suggests, I'm going to say all of the
4: above. All of the
0: above. Yes. yes. Tom Bosley really was
4: B.A.H.
0: Humbug. I was like, Cicely Tyson is way too specific. They've all got to be true.
3: Yes. (laughs) They were all very, very specific.
0: Now, early Christmas cards in England were different from the kinds of cards we know today. Was it A, that they were twice the size of today's cards, B, that the paper was usually scented, or C, they almost never depicted Christmas?
3: Well, I just saw an article about this recently, and I know that it is C, they almost never depicted Christmas.
0: That's exactly right. Old Christmas cards almost never depict your Christmas. So you must know what kind of things you would see on a, a Christmas card from back then.
3: Strange things like child flowers coming out of mm-hmm. a bouquet. But flowers with the heads of children inside. Not at all gruesome or, or creepy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Many a Victorian Christmas party included a game called Snapdragon. What is that? Is it A, a game where players took turns plucking raisins barehanded out of a bowl of flaming brandy and then eat those flaming raisins? B, a variation on Spin the Bottle where players took turns plucking petals off of a snapdragon? Or C, a contest to see who can fit the most ginger snaps into his mouth at once?
3: I'm taking A because I know that flaming punch was very much a thing at Christmas.
0: Yep, that is exactly right. (laughs) That really was, you would light some raisins on fire? And then eat them. I, th- I think I know why we don't play that anymore. But just a guess.
3: Yes. Uh-huh.
0: Now, in A Christmas Carol, how many brothers does the ghost of Christmas past claim that he has? Is it A, a baker's dozen, B, more than 1,800, or C, enough to sink a fishing boat?
3: Ah, uh, Yes.
0: That's like oh, more than 1,800, B. It is B, more than 1,800. And we just saw the ghost of Christmas past walking. In A Christmas Carol, what neighborhood of London did the Cratchit family live in? Was it A, Camden Town? It's A. (laughs) (laughs) Correct! (laughs) Victorian people are so smart. (laughs) Now, last question for you. Sugar plums. They're not plums. They were nuts or seeds covered with a candy shell. But the first ever time we ever heard the word sugar plum, it described something different. What was it describing? A, a style of women's hat. B, hush money, or C, an embarrassing slip of the tongue?
3: I'm going to guess either A or B, but I'm, I might guess A.
0: Would you, li- would you like to guess again? It's, is it B? It is B, hush yes. money, yes. yes. <laughs> Sugar Plums was hush money.
3: Yeah.
0: All right, well, thank you very much for playing our game, and we have a nice little prize for you. We can pass to the Dickens Fair, plus some other Christmas goodies from Tim and me. Thank you very much indeed. The whole. You get the whole stocking. <laughs> Well, Tim, that was the first ever live recording of Christmas Past here at the Great Dickens Christmas Fair. And so I would like to thank these lovely people for spending an hour with us for our hour of trivia games and music and conversation and some Christmas fun. I hope you had fun. I would like to thank you for letting me be a part of this. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for sharing some time with us. This has been the first ever live recording of the Christmas Past podcast here. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. And maybe you'll be able to come to London with me again next year for another show live from the Great Dickens Christmas Fair. My special thanks to Tim Babb from Can't Wait for Christmas. You can find his podcast wherever you find podcasts. And also a big thanks to Denise Lamotte at Denise Lamott Public Relations and Kevin Patterson, who you heard in this episode. This show wouldn't have happened without Denise and Kevin's hard work and good cheer. So thanks again and Merry Christmas. Christmas Past is produced in sunny San Mateo, California, by yours truly, Brian Earle. Be sure to follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and if you're feeling the Christmas spirit, why not help more people find this show by telling a friend about it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts? Those reviews on Apple Podcasts make the show more visible when people are searching for Christmas shows, so leaving a review is kind of like spreading Christmas cheer. I'll even send you a sticker to say thanks. Get in touch for details. Again, that email address is christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com. I hope your Christmas season is off to a wonderful start, and I look forward to seeing you again very soon.